Tom Ewing. You're listening to Resonance FM, and this is Freaky Trigger and the Lollards of Pop. This week we're broadcasting live from the deserted set of Jules Holland's Hootenanny, as we prepare to bring our own rather moth-eaten curtain down on the music of 2007. This week we'll be exploring the trouble with pop, or rather, pop is a place where productive trouble can start. Arguments, discussions, boozy chats, nothing starts them quite like pop music does. And we'll be exploring genre drift, selling out, borrowed sounds and leaps of language. Our starry-eyed boppers this week are Cat Stevens. Hello. Mark Sinker. Hello. And Tim Hopkins. Hello. I'm not sure you can hear me. Is it? Yeah. <laughs> and... Hello. Sorry about that, everybody. <coughs> one, two, one, two. And on the knobs is Eli Sessions. Hello. <laughs> Dead time. <laughs> Hi there, folks. There we are. Uh, music was our first love. Yapping on about it will be our last. So let's get going. Eli, next track. That's um, Girlfriend by Avril Lavigne, of course. Um, that was that was chosen for us by Kat as a highlight of the year. Um, she certainly got a lot of, of gusto there, but she's not very nice, is she? Avril is kind of... She's one of those girls that everyone really, really doesn't like, but you kind of have to be her friend anyway, because otherwise she'll beat you up. Yeah, judging by this song, she's an absolute menace. Okay, this next bit. Eli, if you could just fade up a little bit so we can have a listen. Okay, she, she's basically slagging off this boy's girlfriend. So the boy will dump her and come to Avril. Okay, now this might not be the best quality to look for in a potential other half, I think. 
um, being nasty, being extremely arrogant and just generally making life difficult for everyone. But this kind of is what makes this song actually amazing because it has made me think of Advil in a completely different light rather than just a sort of skanky, skeletal, indie, jangling Canadian... Oh, I don't know how to Rat describe it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Instead of writing her off completely, it's like, my God, she's actually got something interesting about her. She's horrible. That's what's interesting. <laughs> and the video, if, if you could talk us through what happens in the video. In the video, um, Avril uh, plays uh, the protagonist in the song who is uh, trying to entice the, the girl away from uh, this uh, the boy of her in question. But she also plays the girl who she's slagging off as well. So she's actually slagging off herself in a like, hilarious double uh, you know, uh, special effects manner. And uh, the girl um, is, uh, who's the current girlfriend is a, a geeky, tweed-dressed, you know, she, she's got clots. You know, it's that bad. Glasses and like she likes mini golf. Oh no! Oh, the, the how like mini golf. Cool. Bad about What was she thinking? I know. <laughs> <laughs> I know. And um, Avril really and her emo goth mates gang up on this poor girl, and she ends up who, ro- the girl. The girl who's also Avril. Yes. Yes. The girl is also Avril, and they gang up on her and end up. She ends up um, getting hit on the head by a mini golf ball, right? Because Avril actually <laughs> takes a swing. And hits her square on the head. She rolls, falls over in distress and then rolls down the hill into a portaloo, which a fat man has just been in <laughs> taking a dump. How harsh. I mean, and, and she actually wants to say, no, you should go out with me. <laughs> yeah, what's going on there? It, it's a sort of protection racket, it sounds like. It's it's kind of awful. The way she goes like, Anna, that you like me. It's like she's going, oh, you know you do. You know you love me. Oh, because I'm so awful. And like, you love me for it. I'm mocking you for actually falling for me. And it's like, but, but, but I, I haven't really. Oh, okay, okay, okay. Whatever you want. Whatever you want. That's fine. That's fine. So uh, it's, it's something. Does, it, does, it, does anyone else on our, on our panel have, um, Sort of other examples of how really kind of horrible, clearly horrible people, like within the persona of a song, can be made awesome by the the force of the song. Is now the time when I start talking about Toby Keith? Yes. <laughs> Again. <laughs> but we only have an um, hour. <laughs> <laughs> no, we have less than an hour, so I'd better get going. Um, you know, Toby says things that I wouldn't necessarily agree with. He, he espouses views that I wouldn't necessarily hold myself and I'm not absolutely sure that he holds himself uh, but because I've grown to love the Toby and this is something we were talking about the other week because I've grown to love the Toby the the, the whole the whole it comes a real shock to me that that I can love so unreservedly an artist who I really disagree with and not only do I disagree with their political viewpoints I kind of disagree with their way of putting their politics across um, and I, f- I find that oddly unsettling as a you know someone who grew up enjoying listening to billy bragg because i agreed with him isn't it something it's something that in films and television we do all the time we there's all sorts of villains or who we love you know actors who we have no idea what they're really like as you know as kind of loveys in their own front room like alan rickman any number of people in from any number of directions, really. Nasty people who we adore to watch and kind of enjoy 
imitating or imagining ourselves as them, even though we're nothing like them. I and really I, wouldn't like to imitate Avril, though, but, but I still love this song, and it's kind of amazing. I mean, do you think the I fact do. that Avril's playing that double role in the video suggests that it's you know there is a distancing going on? It is well, like... I think she she maybe is ambivalent somewhat about the character. That's to say, she enjoys the energy of this, which I really enjoy as well. I mean, it, it's actually the first Avril song that I've really really liked, yeah. and. I don't like mm-hmm. it because I want to date her because I have the same feeling that Kat has about her as a sort of, you know, as a person. I'm mean, not that I remotely know her as a person, but... No, she is actually like that in real life. <laughs> which, but, which, but the, I, which one? Uh, the aspect Kal- of... Kalot's girl. The aspect of the, this song that I identified was actually identifying with her character and that's purely vicarious because it's not a way I behave in the world. I heard Tim disagree. No, <laughs> big I, wasn't, I wasn't really. I wouldn't, I wouldn't, wouldn't dream of disagreeing with you. I think uh, instantly, actually, the next track, um, the person who put it forward, who I can reveal was Tim, um, <laughs> described it as like a, a grown-up Avril. But I think probably the, the scenario that's playing out in this track is slightly less of a kind of vicarious one, a little more down-to-earth. Unglamorous by Laurie McKenna. Um, Tim, what's what's going on there? I mean, it's quite obvious what's going on there. It's a, a celebration of the normal. 
a, a, a somewhat conflicted celebration of the normal, I would say. I mean, it's, it seems to me that one of the things that I said to Tom about this record in the, in the lead-up to the show was, was that it kind of reminds me of, a, of, of an, an Avril, grown up, grown slightly disappointed and slightly bitter, but sort of making the best of it. And I can, I can never tell when listening to that song whether I'm, whether I'm hearing somebody genuinely celebrate normal life or whether I'm hearing somebody full of regret that their life has turned out normal and just going, oh, well, you know, this is the way it is and I like it this way. Or whether it's somebody who's actually, whether, whether there's actually an authorial voice kind of, kind of bashing away at ordinary people and saying how lame they are. And I, 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 I vary between the three, which is something I like about songs. Well, maybe she's just Jenny from the block and she's just pretending to be unglamorous when actually she has got diamonds on her rings. No diamonds in our bathtub rings. No. Mm. Um, I, I don't really know what actually is going on in that record, but I do like to think it's a slightly disappointed Avril character. Gone, gone, gone suburban. What, what genre is it? Well, I was going to ask that question because you know it's a fairly, it's, a, it's fairly and squarely in the country genre. You know, if you go to if you go to Amazon and look it up, it will be under country. But I don't, I don't think it sounds like a country record. No, I mean, it no. doesn't sound like what my, like my my inbuilt model of what a country record sounds like. Her, her voice is has country the, twang to it, but the the backing sound could, you know, it's like squeeze or something a, like that, which a, which the song is as well is a sort of a squeeze song. Mm-hmm. She's a. Uh, she was more of a folk singer than a country singer. Oh right. Um, based in, I think, I think somewhere up on the sophisticated uh, northeast coast of the United States. Who she made a few quite well received, but not enormously successful LPs, as I understand. Um, and then this this record was uh, picked up by Tim McGraw. It was produced by Tim McGraw, who went and brought her down to Nashville and made this relatively commercial country record. Although you know, if you read the ILX rolling country music thread it gets it gets pasted for sounding like a demo so it wasn't a country record to start off with but then Tim McGraw made it, was, it, country. it well I can't tell what it was to start off with because this record's only ever been this record but she wasn't a mainstream country artist but she was picked up by Tim McGraw who is a mainstream country artist and and taken to Nashville which is interesting in and of itself but th- th- I mean there's a wider picture here which is what what sounds to me like fairly mainstream rock music has been moving into country music like crazy. It's, you know, lots and lots of the, if you listen to the country charts, lots of it sounds like what in the 1980s would have been called mainstream rock music. And it may have a little, may have a little southern twang in the voice. Um, quite often doesn't, you know, won't even have any kind of uh, nod to the steel guitar and the traditional instrumentation of the of the country song and quite often won't have the, the sort of, traditional country song structures or or chord progressions but so this song is actually a it's it's the autobiography of the sound because the sound is deciding it's it's actually going to settle down and be a bit you know off center stage and be a bit unglamorous now it's you know rock's not what it was it's not um it's not teenage anymore it's settled down a bit and There's it's no stepping sideways. And, and this is, you know, country is a is a way to grow old gracefully. I mean, that's sure. one of oh, the traditionally things. Traditionally, has yes. been. Yeah, yeah. And because it's, as a pop form, it's 20 years older than rock anyway. So and, and, but more. has also been much more tolerant 
of you know f- from its very beginnings was much more tolerant of old people. Mm. You know, you you had younger people dressing as old people, you know, Grandpa Jones and such, yeah. who, you know, if he was if he was sixty when he started, he was like one hundred and fifty <laughs> by the time he finished. He was, like, but, um, yeah, it's always been a good place to go when you when you got a little older and the pop market wasn't necessarily buying your slightly face any longer. It's I think the 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 in there's something interesting anyway about these. Um, you know, apparently mundane subjects, which and periodically in art forms, you you suddenly get a burst of a kind of uh, low key realism, which mm-hmm. at the time can seem incredibly refreshing and exciting. Obviously, I mean, from my particular age group, it happens very much with punk. That the thing was exciting about it was that it was about your ordinary life, right. not about you know things long ago and far away, which Actually. a lot of the the rock and pop of the previous five year span had seemed to be stuff mm-hmm. not relevant not relevant and suddenly it was I mean it was the teenage TV personalities pogo in the bedroom kind right. of thing that were very sort of funny and sharp because I know you're getting all this kitchen sink indie where Kate Nash is telling us about how her dental hygiene regime which I, I I don't like that at all. Well, re- there's realism is a is a a very I think it's a very ambivalent um, territory because it can be very shocking in the sense that you're being realistic about a now which hasn't been spoken about. But if you go on doing that for any great length of time, then everyone starts to feel trapped in the now and not able to kind of imagine themselves out elsewhere. Mm. And so there's a constant sort of back and forth. And yeah, it's a, there's a, and there's this positioning thing, isn't it? <clears throat> it's like you know you want to be the opposite of what your big brother wants to mm, wants to be, yeah. and so you know the 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 um the kitchen current kitchen sink indie, I would I would suggest is positioning itself against the current sort of slightly blingified end of hip hop. You know that's the it's the that's a kind of reaction against. We're going to be completely different to that. I mean, one interesting thing is as well. Well, the next artist that we're about to hear. He's he's a, a very big hip hop artist, and he's he's attempted very much on his his latest album um, to um, to kind of marry hip hop and rock, and and try to bring in the virtues of rock and indie. So so there's a, a, a genre worry there as well. Hold on, this is uh, virtues. Well, <laughs> we'll see. Not actually on this track, um, which we're about to hear. It's Timberland.
that trumpet thing's quite familiar. Yeah, the dun 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 dun. Does anyone does anyone recognise that? Oh, uh, yes. <laughs> yes, everyone's <laughs> nodding. There we are. The, the, the real quiz is later. That was yeah. the easy bit. I, I had a little look in the my um, copy of Timberland's album on the writing credits because m- most albums these days, if they incorporate elements of another track, they usually mention it there and uh, give them the credit. But there was, I couldn't see any any mention of uh, Salt and Pepper anywhere of uh, their lovely uh, late eighties hit Push It. Um, and I double-checked my copy of Salt and Pepper's Greatest Hits, which was kind of next to it on S and T in my alphabetized CD rack, and uh, I, I couldn't see the name of the producer on there anywhere either. So uh, I think Timberland is actually getting away with murder by lifting this uh, riff off. Not, not Salt actual and real murder. Not actual real murder. Right. More pop, pop murder. Oh. That is theft. But um, yeah, I. I really like this song and I hate it at the same time. I'm kind of conflicted. And uh, there's so many good things about it. Uh, Kerry Hilson, who's the female vocal you can hear on this, she's absolutely astounding. I love her voice and her her songwriting. She's also a songwriter. She wrote um, a couple of tracks on the latest Britney album. And uh, she's she's really brilliant. I was like, uh, uh, Eli, up the knobs. <laughs> But yeah, she she's so lovely, and the the noise and the production. Timberland is an amazing producer, and I've I've loved loads of albums that he's done for other people, uh, Justin Timberlake and um, so on. Um, but for all these lovely, lovely noises and Kerry Hilson's wonderful, soothing, calm angel uh, angel voice. I really, really hate Timberland's rapping. I hate when he just pops up on all these songs and goes, oh, baby girl. I was like, oh, no, no, she's not your baby girl. Your baby girl's Aaliyah. But yeah, that, that, that was a long time ago, fair enough. Some people take longer to grieve than others. But like, sort it out, Timberland. Stop letting it spoil your songs, especially when you should be giving other people a chance to shine. Um, yeah, it's just so conflicting that, uh, I love that bass that goes like, mm, 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 but then he said, "Oh, your body ain't Pamela Anderson. It's a struggle just to fit you in the caravan." I, I don't believe Timberland has a caravan. I know. I, I mean, the first half of the song, he's going on about not having any money, but then he slags off Kerry Hilson for for being fat. Maybe it's a maybe it's a like a proper caravan with camels and that. Not like not like one you tow behind your car, but one with well, you know, an actual, actual real, yeah, sort of desert caravan. Selling dates. <laughs> that's <laughs> that's <laughs> even worse. Because <laughs> yeah. then the Kerry diss Hill. about her size is. is, is I mean, yeah, how do you not feel in a caravan sarai? <laughs> I know. Camels are pretty strong, you know. So, but, I, um, so I understand. Yeah, it's like poor versus fat fight. <laughs> I, I don't like that. I mean, and combine that with the blatant salt and pepper thing, and. I'm not really sure what I feel about that. I mean, it, I, I'm all in favour of artists sampling other artists and uh, incorporating stuff that they think's amazing and then trying to improve it. And that's great. And this is a good song and it's bene- you know, it benefits from having the dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun in it. But sometimes it really, really doesn't. Like, uh, what's the? I don't know the Salt and Pepper song, so what's it about? Um, it's about pushing it real good. 
um, and then <laughs> both through the caravan door. Yeah, <laughs> but, uh, uh, salt and pepper. They they uh, want to show uh, the boys that they know uh, the num- they're the number one in the hot hot show. It's it's a bit saucy. Well, push it by salt and pepper. They're they're displaying their talents to so the world at large. Is there is there any sense in which this is actually part of a this song is a uh, an answer record? No. No, not at all. I think it is just they. Uh, Tim Bland thinks, "Oh, that's quite a nice hook. Let's nick it." And I said, "That's fair enough. That's absolutely fine." And um, but the, but the thing is that I mean, apart from me, who is ignorant of your young person's pop, <laughs> all of the rest of the people in the room knew, uh, and are actually making this um, debate between these two songs in their head because, incidentally. If you if salt and pepper is next to Timberland alphabetized, that means that you don't have anything after S A in your S. <laughs> no, it's only alphabetized by first letter within oh, that oh. group. So there are also S's, and they can be in any order. And then it's T's. Okay, in any order. she's got the entire uh, late album set of the Stranglers. After all, as we know. You know what? Yeah, I have. I know. I know. I've got seven <laughs> copies. They're all signed by Hugh Cornwall. I queued up and everything. Amazing. But yeah, back to sampling. <laughs> Sorry, this can work really badly in some cases. Like uh, uh, the recent Rihanna single uh, "Shut Up and Drive," uh, which Eli is a big fan of, uh, that um, heavily incorporates uh, "Blue Monday," the chords from "Blue Monday," and uh, it was really, really clumsily done. I don't think it adds much to the song. I mean, it's the, the whole entire basis, but I think it, they should just would have done better without it and made it a big minimal just drums and singing. Like It worked for Little Mama with her lip gloss, so I, I think this could have worked really well for Rihanna instead of uh, over, you know, treading back over this uh, well-used riff and not really adding to it or improving or, or using it to its advantage. However, on um, uh, the recent M.I.A. album, she also has a song that incorporates Blue Monday as well. And that's $20. And it sounds amazing. And it's just a, an example of in the wrong hands, sampling can be but the work of the It's devil. not really sampling, is it? Because he's not crediting the sampling. It's not even sampling it because he's basically replaying it on a kind of paper and comb. Well, Jazz. I think this, I think <laughs> this is the problem. Um, with Rihanna's, it also that is also a replaying. It's a re-recording, and it says incorporates elements rather than uh, you know co- actually a co-written by. Was, well, they do have a writing credit, but it's not an official sample. Um, it would say incorporates elements of Blue Monday by uh, Hook and uh, Crook. Sumner and <laughs> yes, yeah, <laughs> so on. But um, with Mia, she's actually uh, just taking the bare bones of the Blue Monday riff and just gone. <laughs> So it's still recognisable, it but it's just. stretched <laughs> out into this enormous groaning thing, and I, I think it's improved it. Well, <sighs> we're, we're we're now going to have a little quiz. Um, the purpose of this quiz is uh, to see how what people write about music relates to the music we know. Um, I'm going to read out a few excerpts from reviews of top uh all of them all of them successful or acclaimed records from this year oh and, no. um, <laughs> <laughs> and and we'll see if our panel can guess <coughs> what they are uh the first is from the nme in three exquisite minutes all that experimental talk of mixing jg ballard and giorgio moroder 
coalesced into that most divine of things, the perfect pop single, an effortless amalgam of early 80s pop and rave abandon. What a chorus. Ooh, ah, ooh, ah. Well, it can't be Sophie Ellis-Bex's China Heart because that wasn't actually released as a single. Which is, it has got very much elements of Maroda in it. Does it does it have a chorus? Ooh ah ooh ah. Well, if you if you hum it like that, then it could do. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or karaoke. Was yeah. it something by the Wurzels? <laughs> no, possibly a, a modern day Wurzel. <laughs> Um, it's like, why do fools fall in love? Ooh, ah, ooh, ah. Uh, it, it's not any, any other guesses? I, no, I, I don't have a clue. <laughs> uh, it's the Claxons, uh. Golden Scans by the Claxons. Uh, uh. The chorus of which goes, ooh, ah. It does. Uh, yeah. No, I'm, I'm aware so of it. So I may be cheated a little by reading it in a silly fashion, <laughs> as opposed to singing it in a silly fashion. Um, <laughs> our next quiz entry is from Rolling Stone. There's a resolute sarcasm. A weariness and defiant determination. A sense of pleasure carved out of work. Articulated by the lyrics, embodied by the music. A riot of human, musical and mechanical sounds bubbles underneath these tracks. Not a white riot, that's for sure. Anyone? (laughs) (laughs) There's blank faces all around. I have no idea. Rolling Stone's American, yeah? Yeah. Um, Let's see. It's not Rihanna's Shut Up and Drive, is it? <laughs> it isn't, though. No. I, I, I haven't the first foggiest. I feel bad. Um, I don't feel bad, but I have. I don't know either. It's, uh, it's, we were just talking about her, actually. It's MIA. It's oh. the five-star review of MIA by Robert Criscow. On to the... <laughs> so far, we're on naught out of two for the panel. Maybe you at home are performing better. That's, that's, a better uh, that's a better ratio than I was expecting. <laughs> um, the next is from Pitchfork, an online website. <laughs> for the young people. Yes. Yeah. Um, better than an offline website, this, anyway. This artist has a gift for communicating confusing romance with a keen eye for detail and scene-stealing turns of phrase. The single is one of the few tracks that finds the acutely enunciated words complemented with just the right amount of swirling sonic accoutrements. Is it Shaun the Sheep? <laughs> Close. <laughs> who, who enunciates acutely these days? It's a, it's a novelty British act, I'll give you that. Not necessarily Shaun the Sheep. Oh, right. Um, so I was Crazy Frog. <laughs> Can I get half a point? <laughs> no, it's, it's not near British. enough Shaun the Sheep to get half a point. Crazy uh, Frog's not British, is he? Uh, the Cheeky Girls? <laughs> they haven't done anything this year, have they? They're not British either, are they? Well, well, they live here now. I think they got their green cards through. Yeah, one of them's married to Lembert Opic. Yeah. He's <laughs> not British <laughs> Oh, no. <laughs> any, <laughs> uncovered. Any other, any other guesses? No. <laughs> Novelty British acts. Is it the Claxons again? Uh, it's Kate Nash. <laughs> oh. What? Is she Novelty? She's got an album though. Okay, she's you said really. her song was about dental hygiene. How can that not be novelty? It's called mouthwash. That's dental I, hygiene. I, I believe you. I wasn't. I wasn't disagreeing with you, but surely that's novelty. I don't I mean, think I've I'm, ever used the word accoutrement. I have in in speech or in print. Well, I have a lot of things. <laughs> <laughs> and and finally, <laughs> I don't know what to say. Finally, well, this this with well, it's got nothing. With all our panel on. Um, on naught out of three, this is, in a very real sense, the decider. <laughs> a a deadpan outpouring of embittered existentialist angst from the very heart of the video drome. 
a cry of pain and defiance from the mind of a discarded sex toy staring at simulations of herself. Is it Mika Grace Kelly? <laughs> no. What, which publication was that from? From from Fact magazine. Uh, I think oh. I know who the writer is, and I think <laughs> I know that it's it's Brittany. Uh, Mark has got a point. <laughs> I was going to say Brittany. It was it was Brittany. It was <laughs> it was written by the uh, the journalist K Punk. Um, and too many to- adjectives, Mark. <laughs> <laughs> and talking about Britney Spears' Blackout, which both K-Punk and I think is an excellent album. And I actually think that's quite a good description of it. Um, specifically, that was the track Piece of Me. And this isn't the track Piece of Me. Um, it's the track Yadet Nar by DJ Mariam. You picked that track. Uh, well, yeah, I I sort of picked it. I mean, it was picked partly because uh, I was it was the only one <laughs> song by her that I was able to find that I hadn't heard before in in the context of finding something new this year. And I noticed as I was playing it on that um, on the computer technology thing, it said uh, copyright 2005. <laughs> so it's only a song from 2007 in, in the sense that I heard it two or three days ago. That's okay. But I think that's... I don't, I don't think any of us heard it any earlier. <laughs> no. no, exactly. And that's that's one of the things that I think is... Well, one of the problems that I always have at this time of year or had when I was more professionally involved in writing is that everyone would suddenly start saying... You know what are the songs you've been listening to this? Year? What's what's good this year? And and I was immediately thrown into a huge kind of panic because I felt like, oh, I have no idea. <laughs> Everything I've been listening to has been from another year, and I don't care what's been good this year in the sense of came out this year and must be ranked with all these other. But things. you might care in three years' time what came out this year. Yes, but I don't care what where it came on the on the list of. I mean that that's just not it. How other people listen to in this way just totally used to baffle me. And I used to feel, feel I was a total failure as a 
as a music critic because I was completely unable to to draw up these kind of lists, except in a sort of a really absurd way. I mean, do you think that critics sort of ignore a lot of this kind of stuff, foreign language pop stuff that's happening in other markets and other countries, just because including them would just make the sort of scale of this so frightening that everyone would then get that kind of anxiety? I I think there probably is a certain amount of uh, effective triage to get your vote the same reason that, that that people make a decision to vote for people who are likely to get in as opposed to voting for kind of novelty act people who you actually agree with but aren't, are only going to get like 10 other votes in the whole of the rest of the country. And because everyone is making this same kind of judgment that the two ends of the market are pushed apart from each other. Um, and I think that, that there has always been an element of that, that things which are... Um, outside the assumed catchment uh, get it in the neck a bit when when people are voting even though they might really like it just on the grounds that they assume no one else will vote for it i mean i I can't say that that was making me vote for things like this because i was so lousy at remembering you know these things either um and and they would be from three or four years before or i had no idea where they were you know just something i heard that i liked or it would be some tiny passage in a song that I didn't otherwise like that I wanted to vote for, but you're not allowed to do that. <laughs> and uh, I, I mean, I've always really liked the idea that you should have a chart of great chords or great drum beats of the year. But great moments. Yeah, exactly. Just like the atoms, the atoms of the year. <laughs> <laughs> but um, but you, you were like making these lists for other people's benefit, not yours. Or whether it was it for your benefit? Well, I mean, in the in the context I was making them, we were usually around, allowed to make our own lists as well, and so then you could just sort of be free to to game those as you chose. But I quite often didn't bother actually voting in the because I couldn't deliver the kinds of things I assumed or expected, like lists of records with artists that had come out in that year. Yeah, <laughs> yes. <laughs> Yeah, that's Peter making believe. Well, these lists always seem to me to be um, uh, a way of getting all your mates to, you know, work. Because I, I don't submit lists to any magazine or anything. I just like post it on the internet and hope people read it. Or even there, I was, I'm not bothered if people read it. But you do it. If, you do it for yourself, right? I do it for and myself. And if somebody else likes it, that's a bonus. Exactly. Yeah. And I think, well, if I liked it, my mates might like it as well. And other, some of my friends have done these sort of lists too. And uh, I've found some really good stuff just because they've done this year summation where I was too busy listening to my other stuff throughout the year to notice that when they were saying it at the time. It is useful. It is useful. At the same, I mean. <laughs> One of the things that's happening to pop at the moment is that is that it is just getting vast, you know. And Tom was sort of hinting at that to say, well, you know, do do people keep their does the enemy keep its list down? Because if they try to deal with the the whole of global pop, which is now available to people to listen to, like they would have to admit that they're as lost as the rest of us. But, I, I, yeah. but the question we then have to ask ourselves is actually, how do we deal with that? You know, do we do we specialize? You know, do we do we become expert in one particular area? Do we do we actually just try and completely make it up as we go along and, and drift and just try and listen to a little bit of anything that might happen to come across our path? And then if it sounds good, then sort of burrow into that and see what's good around there. You know, I, I, I haven't the faintest idea how to deal with, with with the broad pop at the moment, except that except that I really like the idea of trying to trying to cast off my um pre existing 
aesthetic uh Shackles. Shackles, yeah, the M. Which which I've actually been kind of working working to bind myself with for, for you know, for the best part of twenty years and that, and then I you know, I'm really desperately trying to offend my own um aesthetics as as hard as I can at the moment because that's where the excitement's coming around. Speaking of kind of gaming one's aesthetics, Mark proposed a little thought experiment with the next track, which is a very, very well known track from this year. Um which is that we should try and imagine what we think it was about, what we'd feel about it if it was being sung in Persian in Farsi, so we're now going to attempt this. Anticipation for precipitation, stack chips with a rainy day. Jay, rain man is back with little Miss Sunshine. Rihanna, where you at? You have my heart, and we'll never be worlds apart. Maybe in magazines, but you still be my star. Baby, cause in the dark, well, you can't see shiny. Obviously, that Iranian rapper was rubbish. <laughs> <laughs> Mark. Well, I, yes. I mean, it's curious having set the thought experiment. It, it's one of the things that I, I am, I'm not sure that I've thought very hard about what I would think it was about. Um, wh- what I find the reason I'm ambivalent about this song, as this was the one that I chose, is that everything about this, in terms of its constituents, is things that I like. That I like the the way it starts out in this is um unresolved slightly noisy uh collation of things moving across each other including jay-z's rather strange uh um i don't know quite know what diffident rap yeah. where you're not really sure I, I mean one of the things i i do actually like about it is the fact but it doesn't take this anywhere is that the song appears to be a sort of uh statement of friendship or just solidarity between two people who know each other and have each other's backs but aren't necessarily anywhere near each other but well, it depends how big your umbrella is uh, whether it can reach <laughs> over there if it's a big is golfing it, is one. it a kind of umbrella 2.0 <laughs> <laughs> well i think it's just a notional thing i mean that's the but that's because they both seem so diffident actually and, the, and that's a curious sort of aspect about it that i because i know because i made the effort for once to actually look at the words which I really don't l- listen to words in songs often at all until I really actually want to think about them so I don't know the words to most of the songs that I know if you see what I mean so for me thinking about something as if I don't know what language it's in is not it's not particularly uh that's how I deal with most music I don't really mm. think about the words actually starting to think about them it kind of clarified my ambivalence about this song, which is that this is the subject of the song is actually something I would like to really warm to, but all of the things that they're doing with it, they don't seem to actually want to take it anywhere. It's a really unusually abstract and um, unresolved song for a number one. I mean, I kind of like that. That's the case. That it's it's so curious. Do you mean? And when you're saying the subject of the song, you mean the sort of friendship and. Um, well, th- I think the su- the subject of the song is that 
is yes that that there are these two people who are kind of speaking across this um and they're saying you know us against the world and the world is these strange kind of moving plates of sand which have obstructed it's the, the bunkers song. the song has been and and it's full of just strange kind of bits of sonic material yeah around it and but it doesn't actually nothing actually happens in the song i mean there is a certain amount of sort of moving towards potential big anthem but it's very low key and it doesn't actually ever sort of break into that the anthem doesn't really work beautifully i, I mean it's, it's not it's the anthem spiked by the fact that the actual melody of the anthem isn't anthemic at all it's a, mm. it's actually a bit stumbling and a little bit a mm. little bit clumsy yeah. which yeah. is nice. well, and all of those things sound like things that i would like but but somehow it doesn't actually it doesn't go in either direction i don't think i don't think it it keeps it it feels like it's wanting to go in a direction that they don't work out what it is as opposed to deliberately keeping it from going in a direction where they know where y- you would like it to go and they're pulling away from that the, the the answer to your question what would you think about what would you think if this was in farsi i think i think certainly for the start of the record you're you're absolutely right that jay-z sounds really quite diffident and and, and non-engaged yeah um I think that I think that when I listen to that record, I bring a whole lot of well, I know that's Jay Z, so mm. I know that he's doing something in particular with his with his voice on this on this take. If I had you know, I listen to a lot of what well, I come across a lot of rappers who are you know who who I don't necessarily know their work very well. If I'd have heard that without knowing it was Jay Z first off, I'd have probably gone, that guy doesn't really sound very interested. His you know his his delivery probably isn't up to all that now. Mm. I'm, fairly clear that Jay-Z's got a pretty strong delivery, if nothing else. I don't know. I mean, uh, Jay-Z um, signed Rihanna to his label. So uh, I get from his rap that he's actually trying to introduce her to the world, even though she's had like three or four very big hit singles already. He said, like, no, you're on my label now. Go forth and have a number one for I mean, ten there's weeks. A, there's a sort of who's protecting who. But whether you get that in the in Farsi, I don't know. We're, we're going to move on now to a a letter uh, which has been written to us by the really excellent um, music critic Frank Cogan, whose superb book, Real Punks Don't Wear Black, is... I've now actually not looked up who it's published by. Um, I think it's the University of Georgia Press. University of Georgia Press. It's got Press, a green cover. Mark. And it has got a green <laughs> cover, yes. Um, we all really like it. But uh, this letter he's written specially to us, and it's about the, it's about the trouble with pop, and Eli's going to read it. This is from Frank Cogan. Dear Lollards, the trouble with pop is easy to identify. Pop and semi-pop, including rock, is only good these days when sung by someone who is not male and not over 25, except for the occasional good song from Gwen who's been infantilized. Reasons are varied. But a big one is that this is where the money is going, to pretty girls, and this is what the young girls are listening to. Young girls used to listen to pretty boys. Now they listen to pretty girls. A solution might be for guys and coots to decide that masculinity doesn't mean toughness and maturity doesn't mean dullness, but maybe the way to do that is for them to listen to girl music themselves and hear it not necessarily for its youthfulness, but for its smarts. This is what the Beatles did. This is what the Dolls did. And remember, Mick Jagger danced like a girl. Keith Richards said at the time of one of his boring solo albums in the late 80s that he was trying to grow the thing up. Since then, though, the Stones have pretty much continued to recycle riffs they'd worked out in their late 20s. The results are better than you'd expect. A Bigger Bang was actually a good album. Maybe that's what most people do. They find their groove in their late 20s and roll with it for the rest of their lives. 
raising kids and seeding the official adventure spot to young people. But that's not generally been the story of art. Shakespeare wrote good plays when he was old. Rembrandt painted good pictures. John Ford directed his best pictures. Beethoven composed innovative string quartets. And James Brown recorded his prime world-shattering music from the age of 35 to 45. So next year, maybe I'll make an effort to look at what guys over 30 are doing. (laughs) Right. (laughs) This will last two weeks, and then I'll go back to the Rihannas, Ashleys, and Cassies. Of course, there are some talented grown-up gals and guys laying down tracks and working the boards for some of these R&B and teen pop teens. So it's not that adults are out of the picture so much as they need kids to collaborate with. And their best musical vision takes the form of a teen girl or a young woman. And yes, Tim, if record companies would start promoting the best rather than the worst tracks from Brooks and Dunn et al., then maybe those adult guys would be up on my singles list. But even then, they barely compete with the best from youngins like Taylor Swift and Leanne Rhymes and Miley Cyrus. See you again. Miley's eerie and sweet jump into rockabilly is right up in my top five. Sincerely, Frank Kogan, age 53. Denver, Colorado, USA. Thank you, Frank. Um, I'd love, I wish we had time actually to talk about that in more depth, but we have another song to discuss. And it is someone who's, who's kind of inhabiting the role of a young woman, possibly because she also is a young woman. Um, but maybe she's inhabiting a role too. Let's hear uh, Maya Hirasawa. Yeah, we spent too many hours traveling around Always searching in the lost and found Exit till we arrived, till there was another band And I really tried to find a man that I could love At least for the night Looking around, he was searching for something new and exciting. While well, I was standing there, right in front of him. Hello. Hey, I found this boy. He knew That's um, my Hirasawa. My notes on this say from Tim Does the world need an emo Japanese Swedish indie Lily Allen? Tim, does it? <laughs> Plainly. Plainly, the world needs precisely that. Well, not anymore, obviously, because it has a Maya Hirasawa. I'm holding the CD up for the benefit of of my friends here. Um, I really like this record. I remain slightly ambivalent about it, though. This is um, um, a couple of years ago, Tom. It was probably more than a couple of years ago now. You you came up with a what what business people I understand called I think is it Harvard Square where you you do it you do a grid with four sections quadrant analysis quadrant analysis very good and you put fake and real and you know it was like you can have fake fake or fake real or real fake or real 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 too real featuring the mad stuntman <laughs> real too real cacophony by the appalling simple minds anyway um, 
I, I it, it might be because it's Swedish. It might be because I'm old. It might be one of many reasons, but I, I've really struggled placing this on the on, on the grid of, of fake and real. It sounds oddly heartfelt, but is it possible to be real, keech, fake, girl pop, fake? I can't I can't work it out at all and I I feel oddly you know, normally I, I normally I feel quite comfortable that I can I can plot something on that on that particular graph. This one I'm lost. Maybe it's its Swedishness. They like their craft, the Swedes. It, yeah, I guess that's what the cheese. I mean, an interesting <laughs> way of looking at it. That if if this particular kind of I don't know what the summary of this genre would be as a kind of um, as a costume to put on. Right. That that it's something that the nature of the costume and the nature of putting on a costume are more than usually. Um, at odds with each other that it just foxes the it foxes those two dimensions you needed like an extra seven dimensions to be, <laughs> to really understand what's going on so where would you put lily allen on this real false fake graph then i think she don't think too hard about it mm, i think i think she is actually much of the time real fake or fake real? I think she's probably real fake. Yeah? I think she's probably real <laughs> fake. One of the things, that this, this essay, by the way, isn't actually up on Freaking Trigger. So oh, if you want to go shame. and look this stuff up, I've, I found it in the vaults and I'll put it up tomorrow. Um, I've no idea whether it still holds up or what the grid even meant. But I kind of, I mean, I sort of know what sort of fake, fake real and real fake, I think, was a, a kind of like pop authenticity move. In the, it, was, it was an attempt to kind of get a bit annoyed at at kind of people who were talking about perfect pop and saying, you know, forget your, your process manufactured pop in the charts. This kind of pop, which is bought by 500 people in Sweden, is your real pop. But it's fascinating that that, that particular talking about genre migration, the, the genre of old-fashioned indie pop from like when I was a boy in the mid-1980s, just has moved to Sweden. It's not the genre is moving into other genres. It's a genre has moved to another country. I was recently in Sweden on a fact-finding mission, and uh, honestly, honestly, I, w- I went to this show I'm and it, I God, turned around to my indie friend. Indie finding mission. <laughs> an indie finding mission. Yeah. Uh, indie finding missile. Um, <laughs> I, I turned Target. to my friend. Oh, uh. I turned to my friend that I was there with, and I said, I, "I said honestly, it really is like having stepped through a time warp because it was picture perfect, like being at an indie show in 1987." Did uh, they have badges? They had badges. They had exactly the same haircuts. They had exactly the same clothes. I mean, bless them. I just felt really quite uncomfortable about the whole thing because, <laughs> honestly, I'm, I'm now you know a man in my late thirties, and all of a sudden I was surrounded by people who really could have stepped out of my mid-teens, and it was a it was a strange it I mean, was a strange feeling. When, when that was playing, a name that was coming up quite a lot was Bjork, um, because of the timbre of the voice. But I also guess she sort of she brought pastiche into the into the end of vocabulary in a kind of more theatrical, expansive way than, than right. maybe it had been when it was just, let's try to sound a bit like the Yeah, it's a, I think it's... I mean, the thing that, that actually I find most resistible about that is the sense that the croak in her voice is, seems to be something that she's, you know, gone away and learnt, which is a terribly unfair thing to for me to be down on because I'm actually very interested in and keen on the... Baroque stylization of um, the sort of exuberance in R and B melisma is, mm-hmm. I think, is I'm really interested in it. Where where it's obvious that 
mean, the the big name in it is Beyonce has kind mm-hmm. of woodshedded her technique for ten years before she came, so that she could do this thing, which no one else can do, and it is all about something she's taught herself and control, and it's not exuberance anymore. Um. That is, I think, all we have time for. That's our, our last Lollard show of the year. Sorry for the abrupt end to it. Um, the discussion about, discussion about pop <laughs> continues on Freaky Trigger, and we'll play you out with a particularly Christmassy um, midweek number one. This is... Goblin in the office. No. No. <laughs> no. This, is, this is DJ Sammy. DJ Sammy's version of Do They Know It's Christmas. Happy Wobs. Happy Wobs.